Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. And uh, we're going to talk about discerning between fact and fiction. Can we know what is true? Um, because right now we're living in a, you know, we live in a post-Christian era. And you just do some simple Google searches online to see how many people even identify as believers within our nation. And it is dropping drastically. Church attendance is dropping drastically. And, you know, it, all the signs are pointing to we're no longer a Christian nation. We're a post-Christian nation. And, and you know what? I'm not even, I'm, I'm saddened by it, but I'm also not bothered by it. Um, and I'll tell you why. I'm saddened because of what it represents. It represents people are growing away from the Lord. Obviously, I want all people to know him. Uh, but I don't think that we have to be a Christian nation in order to accomplish God's purposes on the earth. And, th and that's why I'm not thrown off by it. I'm not afraid of what's ahead uh, because we see the church can thrive in all sorts of circumstances. History is a testimony to that. Even right now, the places where the church is growing the most are in some of the harshest circumstances. So circumstances and governments do not decide uh, what the body of Christ can do. The Lord does that. And I'm very encouraged by that. But we are living in this time now where a lot of things that were assumed before you know, are no longer assumed in the culture. And that's really what I'm getting at. And that's why it's important. It's why it's our number three prayer request to know the word and truth. Because you can go, whether you're in school, truth can be under attack. You can go to some, it can even be within the church. It could be within your families. It could be out in the marketplace, wherever you might be. But truth is often being challenged. And it's often being challenged with arguments that are, that are emotional in nature. But, but they often have good questions. It's, you know, you, you, ha you can't just say, well, they just don't know. They just don't know any better. No, there's lots of smart people out there that are asking good questions. And if we're not, you know, rooted and grounded in truth, if we don't know what we believe, it's going to be very hard to stand against the coming tide. And so that's why I wanted to, to just begin here uh, this week. I have a few weeks in a row that I'm preaching, so, so we'll see how long it takes me to, <laughs> to finish the topic. I mean, I'm sure we could preach on this one all, all year. Uh, knowing truth. I mean, people have dedicated their lives to understanding truth and understanding the Bible and understanding that and not finished it. Um, but we'll try, I'll try my best to really address some of this. So one of the first questions, you know, does truth change based on how we feel? Can we know truth? Does it change based on how we feel? What if I don't feel something is true? Does that change what is true? Does it change based on my experience? These are good questions, right? Can we really know what is true? I mean, there's a lot of people in our culture that is asking that. Uh, if we're not confident, and this is, I, I'll, I'll keep saying this, and if we're not confident in what we believe, we won't be confident to share our beliefs with others. And remember, we talked about it two weeks ago, we need to switch from a come therefore, which is just primarily bring them here and one person speaks to them, to a go therefore, which means all of us take that mantle of sharing our faith uh, or sharing what God is doing in our lives with others. Um, so... So it'll look different, obviously, but if we're not confident in what we believe, we don't know, it's going to be very hard to go and share that belief with somebody else. And so it's important that we have a measure of confidence. Now, by confidence, I don't mean um, that we know absolutely everything and that we have every answer for every question and every objection. That is not at all what I mean. I just more mean that we have an assurance. We are confident in our own personal beliefs. Uh, because obviously our knowledge will never uh, take the place of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And there's always going to be a need for faith. Where finite beings will never understand everything that there is to know about an infinite God. So there will be a measure of faith. But with that, uh, what can we know about truth? Well, just a couple of statements I'll make right in the beginning. Truth doesn't change. 
Truth doesn't change, right? What is true is, is going to stand the test of time, right? Doesn't mind being questioned. That's why I'm not afraid of questions, right? Even if I don't have the answers, and trust me, I don't have all the answers. I often have to go and research and pray uh, when asked questions. Um, but it doesn't mind being questioned. It stands the test of time. It's simple. Uh, and truth is not influenced by our feelings. I'm not devaluing feelings. God made us with feelings, and I'll talk about that a little bit later, but, but truth isn't influenced by our feelings. My feelings on something don't change uh, what is, in fact, true. So what is the definition of truth? We'll go through a couple of these things uh, just quickly, but the quality of a, or state of being true <laughs> kind of self-defines itself. Uh, that which is true or in accordance with fact or reality, a fact or belief that is accepted uh, as true. Right, so truth is something usually that we what we, what we would call verifiably true. It's it's a verifiable fact, right? That is something we would say is true, right? So if it's verifiable, then it's true. We can hold on to that. Now, uh, one of the phrases that we often hear in the culture, and this is kind of a common buzzword, right? Because we hear things like truth is relative, right? And that's been relativism is not a new thing. It's been in our culture for some time, right? But uh, but we hear phrases like this one here, and that is, what's true for you is true for you, but what's true for me is true for me, right? And usually that's followed up with, so don't be preachy to me or don't try to push your truth uh, down my throat. And although uh, there's part of that that I recognize, we, are, we should be presenting truth with gentleness and respect. Absolutely, yes. Uh, but is this statement true? Is it true that what's true for you is true for you, and what, true, and what is true for me is true for me? Well, uh, Lecrae, I don't know if any of you are familiar with Lecrae. Is there anyone in here? Any of the, there's a bunch of you. I was going to call him a Bible scholar, but you all know he's a Christian rapper. Anyways, uh, in his song, Truth, he actually says there's a brilliant line in there uh, because he asks the same question, right? If what's true for you is true for you and what's true for me is true for me, what if my truth tells me or tells me that your truth is a lie? Is it still true? And I thought, that's a, gr- <laughs> that's a great question to ask. Right? If, if truth is true for both of us, if my truth says your truth is, a lo- truth is a lie, we can't both be right. Like at some point, there has to be a higher truth, something that is right, meaning there's a converse to that, and that is that something is wrong. And so that's a really important thing for us to understand. And now I want to be clear on this because you might say, well, yeah, but is there any elements in, in this that are true? And it is. There is. If we look at it in the right way, like if I'm talking about my experience on something, I might say what's true for me is true for me and what's true for you is true for you. Uh, I like this and you don't like this. Okay, well, that's, in that sense it is true, but the problem is if we don't understand how to look at truth properly or rightly, what ends up happening is we can lump all truth into the same category. And that's a really dangerous thing because if what we believe is true that God is who he says he is, and I believe that is true, and I believe there's good reason for that. It's not just a matter of faith. I believe it's reasonable to believe that. Um, But if we believe that's true, and the Bible is true, and Jesus is true, then, then there are eternities at stake. And so there's great implications on, on what is true. And so, Let's, uh, let's skip forward, and we'll, we'll talk about two kinds of truth here uh, this morning. Actually, there's going to be a third category, but really, these are the two main ones that we're going to talk about here this morning, and the first one is subjective truth, and then we're going to also look at objective truth. So when we look at subjective truth, that's where that statement can be true, because subjective truth is, if you look at this, it's truth based off of, a, off of uh, perspective, feeling, or opinion. 
right? So um, I'll give you some examples on this. I love, what animal is the best animal? Cats. Yeah, you all said cats. So maybe this shouldn't be subjective. This is objective truth, right? <laughs> okay, so I love cats. You all know that. But some of you in here might be deceived and might actually believe that you hate cats. So that's a possibility. I think it's, I mean, it's a stretch to believe that you would hate cats, but let's just say it's true, okay? We can both be truthful in sharing that I think cats are the absolute best. They're the best animal on the earth. Uh, thank you. And you might say, I think cats are the absolute worst animal on the earth. Don't say amen. No, there is no amen to that. <laughs> the point is, we can both be being truthful. In that sense, what's true for you is true for you. That's fine. You can say you hate cats. What's true for me is true for me. <laughs> and I would suggest it might be true for all of you. But anyhow, can you see what that works? It's, it's an opinion. So I'm being truthful, uh, but it is a feeling. It's my perspective. It's, it's an opinion. Uh, the, the same is true with pizza. I mean, if we talk about uh, uh, Za Pizza or Santa Lucia, it's very simple for me to tell you what the best pizza is, barbecue chicken. Oh, amen is right. Like, I almost just want to stop preaching, put a little Selah here. Let's all go do the barbecue chicken thing, and then we'll come back and finish this later. Because it's that good. It is that good, right? But you might think something else is that good. You might hate barbecue chicken, and that's okay. Those are subjective things, right? We can, we can differ on those opinions uh, and both be right. So we can both be right. Um, years ago, I remember saying this to one particular gentleman because uh, I used to do a lot more personal ministry and pastoral counseling and that sort of thing uh, because my job was more centered there, and many of you know that. But uh, I remember the one uh, couple I was dealing with, and I had, was meeting with both of them and then meeting them together. And I remember the one time meeting with the, with the guy, and they were both really great people. They still are. But um, he was really trying to win me over to his side. And, and he was trying to get me to see it from his perspective because he understood what was going on. Like, he knew the problem that was, that was happening in the marriage, what needed to happen to fix it, and all that, and all that kind of stuff, right? And I, I still remember telling him, hey, I believe you. 100%. I believe what you're saying. I totally get it. I hear where you're coming from. I see the challenges you're facing. I understand it. That, that is, it's difficult, and I get it. And I also understand what you think is needed to move forward. But you need to know, I also believe your wife and where she's coming from. And I feel her, you know, the pain and struggle that she's going through. And, and I said, you know what I've often found? And that is the truth of the matter or what we need to do to go forward is somewhere in the middle. And so I, I just said, you don't have to try to win me to your side. I'm already on both of your sides, right? And I can believe both of you, even if you're both sharing different, you know, different perspectives from the same situation. And so that's subjective, right? Because we're sharing our experiences, we're sharing, you know, the way we felt during a conflict, or the way we interpreted what was going on. Sometimes we go a little bit into the mind reading, into the judging, right? We, we're sharing what we know the other person was thinking when they did it, <laughs> right? Those are all subjective things. Um, now, subjective truth isn't bad. It's not bad. It's just not objective truth, and that's what we're going to get on to next. What's really important for us to, to, to realize is, and it's sad to me, is that many people are defining what God, what God is like and who God is, and even what the Bible means to say based on subjective truth. So they're taking their experiences or their feelings or the subjective truth of others and their feelings, right? And they're using that to define what God is like. And I would argue that if God is God, he defines himself. Right? And then it's our joy to seek him out and to search him out and to learn what he is like. But that's very important. Now, that's subjective truth. 
So if we look at objective truth, this is truth based on a verifiable or indisputable uh, fact, right? So using the cat analogy, here you can see the difference very, very easily. If I had a cat on stage, and I wish we had cats on stage, but we don't, but let's say that ever happened, it's an indisputable, you know, if I point to a cat and say that is a cat, it's an indisputable fact, right? Your opinion on cats on whether you like them, whether you don't like them, what you think about this particular cat, all that kind of stuff, all of those things, your subjective truth, your perspective, feelings, and opinions don't actually matter. Are, are you following what I'm saying? They don't matter because it is a cat. You can say, well, I don't care if you say it's a cat. I still think it's a dog. When, right? Like if I was asking you, what do you like better, cats or dogs? That might be more of an appropriate answer to say, well, I don't care what you say about cats. I don't like them. I like dogs. But if we're asking the question, is that a cat? We're actually asking about objective truth. It doesn't change based on your likes or dislikes or experiences. So the cat remains a cat. Same with pizza, right? We, like the barbecue chicken pizza, we can agree that something is a barbecue chicken pizza whether you like it or not. You can hate pizza altogether and it doesn't matter, but, but it's still there's an objective truth to be told in the fact that it is an indisputable pizza, right? So that's how that works. Now, I know we get into more uh, complex situations, and this is where it gets a little bit trickier, right? Because, you know, okay, you're understanding, and I'm sure you guys get this already. We've talked about this here before. In fact, uh, what's really interesting is... Um, KCO Kids Church Online, they're also, our kids are learning about this if you go into KCO as well, subjective and objective truth. I love it when we're all kind of moving in the same direction together, amen? But, uh, but now you can understand subjective and objective truth, but what about when you get these complex kind of uh, relational situations or you're trying to do the go therefore model and you're trying to go and bring, right, you're trying to bring objective truth to someone, but people do have their subjective experiences, and we see things through a subjective lens, and it gets tricky. So how do we handle those kind of situations? Well, I, we could spend a, a whole message on that, because there's a whole bunch of nuances within that, but I don't actually think it's that, that difficult. We just have to remember uh, the difference between the two. And I'll give you an example of, of someone recently that I talked to uh, that I was trying to win to the Lord uh, unsuccessfully. <laughs> uh, I, I, the only reason I add that in chuckle is because I, I don't want you to think that every time we go and do something, you share a story from the front, it's always going to be, you know, everything just works out and it's great. Uh, I wish that was the case. If, if I had it, you know, if every time I talked to someone about Jesus, it was successful, I would just, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be out there talking to every person I met about Jesus, right? But it's, it's not that simple, unfortunately. Anyways, talking to this gentleman, and he's got all sorts of issues in his life, and uh, drug issues, and broken relationship issues, and all this kind of stuff, and, and uh, my heart just totally went out for him. And I was looking for a way to, because, you know, you don't want to just say, oh, inside, all I could feel is, oh, you need Jesus so badly. Like, I just want, <laughs> like, if we just start there, there's a whole, yeah, your life's not going to be fixed overnight. No. Absolutely not. But you could, like, he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the pathway to life forward. And anyhow, so I'm looking for my opportunity to ask him about God. And we're talking back and forth and sharing. And I'm just hearing him and affirming him and trying to encourage him. And finally, my opportunity came. And I said, you know, I have a, just a question for you. Like, I'm just curious, what do you think about God? And so basically he just said, well, yeah, yeah, I'm not into all that religious stuff and I don't actually believe in God. And then he quickly changed the topic. 
And so I took my cue, right? First Peter 3.15, but with gentleness and respect. Someone changes the topic, I don't force the issue. Uh, because the Holy Spirit, it's, that's his job, right? To lead people into truth. I'm just trying to be a conduit, and if someone shuts the door off, that's fine. But I'm looking for another opportunity, because I'm a little bit uh, tenacious that way. So we're talking more and more and more and more, and finally I get my opportunity to maybe ask him a different question that's kind of the same. Well, like, I'm just curious. I don't want to, I know you, we talked about if you believe. I'm just wondering, like, did your parents believe? Or like, what did your parents believe about God? <laughs> so I asked that question. Well, that question led into a whole other conversation now about religion and faith and belief. And I actually realized the first time, you know, when he shut it down and said he didn't believe anything, that wasn't entirely accurate. He did have a belief system and he had been exposed a little bit, uh, but he just didn't buy the whole Christianity and God thing. Um, so he's sharing his experience and he's talking about it. And, you know, and then he finally makes a comment and says, well, you know, the way I kind of see it is this, like, I'm a good person. Um, you know, I try to do good to people. I know I'm stuck and I got a lot of brokenness in my life, but I try my best to be a good person. And I just kind of feel like, you know what, if it is true and, you know, I die here one day, I try to, I, I'm a good person. And if I die, I stand at the pearly gates, he called them. And there is a God standing there. I, I just don't see how, you know, he would see me and not let me in because I'm a good guy. And so I heard that. And what did I, how, did, how do you respond to that? Because I know right away is those in here that know what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches about truth know that, oh, we're not saved by works. That doesn't actually, that's not going to get you into heaven, right? Um, but I just affirmed. I said, oh, I totally get that. And I, I actually just applauded him for, I love that you're so centered on being good to others. And I said, what a great trait to have in, a, in the world today. Uh, when so many are just focused on themselves. I said, that's wonderful. But I, I did ask him a question. I just said, so, but like, let's say you are right though, and God is real. Like, I believe that, but let, like, let's say he is real. Do you think that maybe he defines then the way to him and the way to heaven? And, and I, I left it at that. I mean, we talked a little bit more about if, if he is real and heaven is real, then God defines what is true there and if he says it's faith in Jesus, like, what do you think about that? And at that point, the conversation again steered off into another direction, which, you know, what I, you know what I did? Left it. That's okay. You know, you keep praying and you leave it, and not everything always works out, but you can see, right, subjective truth and objective truth and how it can get messy and mucky within a conversation and how you have to try to walk this delicate balance or line of, you know, standing for truth but also loving people, speaking the truth in love and respecting where they're coming from because, you know, he had lots of experiences. Uh, but his experiences and his opinions were leading him to believe that if he stood before Jesus, that just his good works alone would save him. And yet his experience, his subjective truth doesn't change the reality, the objective truth that God, if God is God, God defines himself and he defines the pathway to himself. And that's, that's the truth. So these are some of the tricky t uh, situations that we can get in. So um, we must learn, and, and this is important. So, oh, I missed that one here. This is something that we must learn to do, to, to be able to believe and affirm people as they share their experiences and their feelings, uh, but also remember that those experiences don't dictate what is true. Did you follow that? That's what we have to get masters at is we really need to learn, right, to, we can believe people. And what I mean by that is uh, when, when I believe someone that's speaking to me, it's not that I believe to be fact everything they tell me. Uh, something we talk about in our home <laughs> is two sides to every story, 
right? So you can believe what your kids are telling you in a conflict, and I can, you can believe them 100%, but that doesn't mean you believe everything that they're saying in the sense of that's exactly how it went down. You, you know that they might have been missing elements of what happened, or they might have been filtering some of that through their own hurt and overwhelmed during that time. Same thing happens to us as adults, right? So two sides to, others, uh, to every story for that reason. So when I say we can believe people, uh, we can believe what they're saying. Listen to them. Truly listen to them. Feel with them. Affirm a feeling. Affirm their experience, but then don't take that experience and that feeling, especially because in the world, a lot of those feelings and experiences are turning more hostile towards God. We can't allow those things to influence what is truth. And that's where we have to look deeper to the Word of God. Truth is factual. It's unchanging. It's not influenced by either positive or negative experiences. Um, so the, the key when we're presenting truth, and that's the important thing, is that we are doing so with gentleness and respect. And that's 1 Peter 3, uh, 15. And that's very, very important. I can't stress that enough. Uh, is we have to learn to stand for truth, but love first. We love first. Remember 1 Corinthians 13? If you have all the secrets and you have all the faith to move mountains, even if you give up your body to be burned but have not love, it says you're a gong show and you, and you amount to nothing. So you gain nothing from it. So we want to do the 1 Peter 3, 15, and that is... In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as, ho uh, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. All right, so that's back at that, uh, that slide. So as believers, this is what we're trying to become masters at. When we're praying for, you know, number three, when you're praying for that in your prayer times or when we're at prayer summits, this is what we're praying that we become good at. And you know what? It's going to look different for everyone, and we're all going to use different things. So it's not like we all have to be masters at debating. Uh, I don't think we have to do that. I think we need to get a master's degree in loving people, in, uh, in, being, in serving them, in empathizing with them, in being generous, right? Making time for people. Let's, let's get master's degrees in that. That is something as Christians that we are told, all of us, that we're supposed to be good at, <laughs> right? But we don't all have to have, you know, the ability to debate and think on your feet and all that kind of stuff. We don't. But if you have, if you're armed with love and you feel confident in your faith and you are growing in your, in your, in your uh, faith with Jesus, you will already have everything in you. You're a spirit-filled believer. You'll have everything you need to go out into a world and uh, show people what Jesus is like. So, masters uh, uh, to stand in truth, truth and love, listening, empathizing, affirming people while also being uncompromising on truth. Right? And uh, this takes training and work, obviously, but it takes, most importantly, the Holy Spirit in you. And next week, we're going to talk more about, uh, I think next week, we'll see. we'll see how it goes. I don't know exactly what I'll preach next week. This week, I only really knew what I was preaching this week, uh, some point this morning. I was sure about it. So anyhow, but I think we're going to hit somewhere in here, deception, knowing truth, how we can know the truth more and be confident in that. Um, we will get to that. So... Now you might be thinking, now we looked at subjective and objective truth and you can see how it gets messy together and you almost like, you know, maybe it's just safer like if we have objective truth or how do these things work together? And so I thought I'd uh, give you a bit of a picture on how that can work uh, together. And I figured I might as well use cats again because it's, <laughs> it's a wonderful to always get you engaged. Um, but uh, suppose we had a coloring book here, right? Coloring books are great. Uh, because you don't need to be an artist uh, to, to color in the lines and to still have a picture that other people can identify what it is, right? If we start with a blank piece of paper, that's not good for me. I can draw one thing, and that is a cat head, and I've drawn it many times over, and I, I don't draw anything else. I've tried dogs. No, not distinguishable. You're like, what is that? I don't know. 
Um, so anyhow, I don't, I don't draw well, but I like coloring books. I don't love them a lot. Don't think I spend a lot of time on coloring books. But if I had to, that's what I would gravitate to because I don't have to be an artist. I just have to color in the lines. You, you following? So let's suppose we're talking about objective and subjective truth and coloring books. So this is the way I'd, I'd like to look at it. When you open a coloring book and you open, there's a black outline that's bordering, it's usually black, right? That's bordering what the picture is supposed to be. So if that, whoever made it, outlined a cat on there, you can open that page even before you've colored it. You can look at it and you already know what you're looking at. You're looking at a cat. That's objective truth. Right? There's boundary lines. There is a boundary line on there and that's objective truth, right? It just is what it is. Right? It's not colored yet, and it doesn't actually matter what you do to it. You can take a crayon, you can take a purple crayon. There is no such thing as a purple cat, but uh, just telling you. But you can scribble all over it. You can go outside the lines, around the lines. You can color the outside, not the inside. You can color whatever you want, but it doesn't change the fact of that objective truth that it is a cat that was drawn on that page. So color, I want you to think of color as that subjective experience or that subjective truth. It's our experience. And what, what, you know, the wonderful thing about color in, coloring in a coloring book is when you add color to something, it comes to life, doesn't it? Like it takes that boring or bland kind of, maybe it's boring, but it takes that bland outline and gives it, it makes it vibrant and gives it life and gives it texture and tone. And it makes, you know, it, it makes it, it actually enhances it. It becomes a masterpiece. But the color doesn't define the truth of what was drawn there. Are you following how this works, right? It is what it is. And we err when we take, you know, someone goes outside the lines and because they're outside of the lines, this is my experience. Now we begin to try to redefine what that picture is actually supposed to be. And that's where we err as believers. And so it's very important that we learn what is that objective truth? What are the things that we can hold on to? And then you build from there. Like you build from there. And then the experiences are absolutely uh, wonderful. You know, it's interesting on the, we use color as subjective. I actually looked this up uh, during the week. I didn't know it before, but uh, most scientists, other than two that I found, but most scientists actually believe that color itself is subjective, right? That objects are objective, they're here, but the way we see color is very subjective because everyone interprets it a little bit different. So you might look at this and say, I'm wearing a white jacket or a gray jacket. Uh, we might see it different, but we can all agree that I'm wearing a, a, you know, a suit jacket, right? So that's the important thing. The color isn't as important, but the important thing is what it is. Um, now, the, obviously the best is when we have both. And I, I think of the best truths when we're going out there armed, that's why I don't want you to just try to do one or the other. If we only try to do experience, we're missing a piece. But if we only try to just hit people with objective truth, we're missing a piece. And the best things to share with people aren't just a bunch of true facts about God. It's to share the truth of God with people combined with your experience with God. Does that make sense? Those are the stories we love to listen to. And those are the ones that are hard to argue because you're presenting truth. You're presenting the truth of who Jesus is, but you're presenting it coupled with your experience with him and how he's impacted your life and what he's doing in your life, uh, which is very hard to argue with when you combine those two together. That is the ultimate subjective and objective truth working together. Um, Jesus says, now bringing it back to scripture. Oops. Oh yeah, I went back. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What an incredible claim, isn't it? Like when you actually look at that, he is the way, right? He is the way, he is the truth, uh, he is the life. It's an incredible claim about himself, 
right? I can't imagine anyone else. He's the only one qualified to make such a claim. Uh, but you can just imagine how absurd that would be if anyone else would even attempt uh, to make a, a statement or a truth claim like that, right? But he's saying, so what does that actually mean? Have you ever thought about that? What does it mean, Jesus saying that I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life? And, uh, you know, a simple answer to that would be, you know, he's saying, I am the way. I am the only way to God. I am the only way. There is no other ways. So regardless of what society might tell you, regardless of what, you know, some will say all paths lead to the same place, that's not truth. We don't get to define the pathway to God. Jesus defines that. So he says, I am the way. He is the only way, and he is the truth. Meaning, everything, everything about who he is, he is an indisputable fact. And every other truth that is alive in the world today, he created the whole thing. So he is the truth. He's the embodiment of truth. There is no truth outside of him. And then he is the life. And that's why I love that, right? He is the way to the Father. He is the way to heaven. He is the truth, the only truth. He embodies all truth. He made all things. All things that are true are an extension of him. And then he is the life, right? That pathway where experience and feelings and our, our truth all come together and we have that vibrancy of life. He is the only path to life. That's who he is. Now, your objection might come up. I thought, I thought we were talking about objective truth and subjective truth, and now you're saying Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. Like, isn't objective truth a verifiable fact? Like, you talked about the cat. If you can see a cat on stage, well, that's a cat. Well, now you're saying Jesus says that's a claim, but isn't that subjective? Well, it is, sub it is subjective. I mean, if you're just reading it and you don't believe in God, right, you might say, well, that's just his own claim. Anyone can claim that. It doesn't make it true. That's why this is such an important thing for us to, to realize the difference between these two. And then what do we do with it? Because right here in a conversation out, out there, right, that's where we're like, I'm just, you know what? I just realized the time. That's, I gotta go. <laughs> we're gonna get back to this later. That's a good point. I don't actually know what to do from here. I'm gonna get out of here uh, because that's a terrifying question. Um, because it's a good point. So what do we do in situations like that? These are great questions. Well, we have to remember objective truth. Sometimes, you know, it's right there in front of us. That's a, a mic and a mic stand. This is a, you know, what do you call this? This is also a stand. Pulpit? Yeah, I guess pulpit. There we go. Drew a brain fart there. I said fart. <laughs> Strike that from the record. No one heard that. Anyways, uh, <laughs> but the whole point is, but you can't see Jesus. Well, there is evidence-based truth. Right? And evidence-based truth is actually just as reliable as any other thing that we would call objective truth. It totally is. Uh, and our court systems use this. Science uses this. We, like, everybody accepts evidence-based truth because now it is truth that is based upon things that we already know to be true. So theories or facts that we know to be true or based on the evidence, things that we can see and touch that point towards something. So there's evidence-based truth. And this is very important that we get this. So my dad actually talked about this. I don't know when he talked about it. But early on in the series, I think it was right in the beginning of uh, November, and he had used the butter tart. Remember the butter tart uh, analogy, right? How he would steal my grandma's butter tarts, and she wouldn't see him do it, but she'd come down there, and there were butter tarts missing, and crumbs of butter tarts leading her to believe. So the evidence led her to believe that someone had been down there. 
right? So that, that is evidence-based truth, and she's accurate on, on knowing that. But there's lots of things in the world that we actually already accept as true based on evidence. Uh, things like there's, there's laws, like the law of gravity. Can you see the law of gravity? Now, you might, you might say, well, like, yeah, you can see the law of gravity, or do you see the evidence of the law of gravity, right? If I would jump off the stage, will I just fly? Like, I remember as a little kid, this actually happened. It's terrible. But I had a dream. They say before you're six, uh, your brain has a hard time sometimes distinguishing between fact and reality with dreams and real life. So I had a dream, and in my dream, I had gone to school and I could fly. I had learned that I could fly. I woke up so excited that I could fly, and I leaped out of my bed. I couldn't fly. The law of gravity held true as it has the rest of my life, and I promptly fell to the floor and hurt myself and didn't tell anyone about that for decades because that was horribly embarrassing that I had done that. But now I can tell you guys because it's funny. Um, but anyhow, gravity, we see that. Air is like that. Uh, you walk into the bush. You know, I went, you know, going hunting this last year. I'm going in the bush trying to backtrack to find this buck that I had seen earlier in the day. And what am I looking for? Trampled grass, maybe some rubs on a tree. I'm looking for, I'm looking for evidence there's no more bucks there, but I'm looking for evidence of where some kind of animal or large mammal, right, has been through here. And I found trails and I found evidence, which kind of led me to this spot where I found a watering hole. And then I found, okay, I see most of the trails are coming in this way. And I thought about where the wind was, watering hole here. There's a spot over on this side of the watering hole. I set up and I had a pretty good idea based on the evidence where that guy might be coming out in the evening. And that particular time, I was right. Now, if it sounds like I know what I was talking about, I was mostly guessing and trying to just piece it together in my head, which apparently is what a lot of hunting is about. But I was following the evidence. I didn't know for sure, but I was following the evidence. Are, are, are you following me here? That's evidence-based truth. Um, if, if you went into the bush right now and saw a backpack, you wouldn't think a deer put it there. You'd say, well, someone has been here. A person has been here, right? Because they have human items like a backpack. Um, there, there's lots of things like this, right? You see the evidence of this church building. You may not have seen anyone build it, but evidence and your previous knowledge of how all things got built would tell you that people built this. You just know that. That's all evidence-based truth, and we all do this. Now, why is this important as it relates to God and as it relates to go, therefore, and make disciples? And I'll tell you why. Because as you go, therefore, and I know it's going to start with small things and all that kind of stuff, but the world is getting increasingly hostile towards believers. I'm not saying to us as people, but against the truth that we believe and about the implications of that truth. Because if God is real, then we're accountable to him. And people don't like that idea. So they push back with all sorts of arguments. And there's no way that I can prepare you or anyone can prepare you for every question that's going to come. In fact, Jesus even instructed the believers on that. He says, don't worry about what to say when you're in front of kings and governors. You can't actually get, <laughs> you can't even prepare for that. He said, in those moments, you just have to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to give you the words from the Father. It'll be him speaking through you to them in those moments. And we can trust him on that. So, what do I like to use? I like to go back to what are the things that I know for sure. So once people start asking questions that I don't have the answers to, anytime you get that, you're going to feel disoriented. And so you feel that disorientation, and that's where we can kind of sometimes start slipping, right? And we don't want to slip. So what do we do? We go back to the things that we know are true, right? Because you might get all sorts of questions that are hard to answer, like how can the loving God call, call that sin? It's not loving to tell people that what they're doing is wrong. How can a loving God let people go to hell? How come, you know, if he's so loving and all-powerful, why didn't he stop evil a long time ago? 
Now, I believe there are really good answers in the Bible to those things, but if, if, you're, if the only way we're going to combat this is to be out there and then to try to remember every answer to every question that comes up, it's going to be very difficult. So what I like to do then, before you get all frazzled, is go back to what do I know to be sure? Because those questions can be disorienting, right? And you feel like, oh my goodness, those are good, those are good objections. What does that mean? So what do I go back to? I want to share two foundational truths and anchor points uh, that I go back to, and that's what I, I think is, I mean, there's more than that. There's lots of truth we can go to, but I like these two. These two. And the first one is, that's what we're going to look at now. Uh, I call them anchor points. They're evidence-based truth. The first one is the existence of God as demonstrated through creation. This is the first one, because that's the first place to start. Is God real? Right? Because I know the next question from there, and we don't have time for it today, and, and we can get into it later. But just very, very fast, the first thing is, does God exist? I know, obviously, the next question is, which God is real? <laughs> right? But I think that's where the second one will come in, in handy as well. But the existence of God is demonstrated through creation. Romans says this, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So right here, I'm going to play a video. Well, actually, they're in the back going to play the video. But it's a short video. We've played it here before, but it's great. On the Kalam, the Cosmological Argument by William Lane Craig. So it's very short. It's four minutes long. But I just want to answer that question very briefly. Not through the Bible necessarily, but this one we're just going to answer through reason, evidence-based understanding of truth. Is it rational to believe that there is a God that created the universe? Does God exist? Or is the material universe all that is, or ever was, or ever will be? One approach to answering this question is the cosmological argument. It goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause. Is the first premise true? Let's consider. Believing that something can pop into existence without a cause is more of a stretch than believing in magic. At least with magic you've got a hat and a magician. And if something can come into being from nothing, then why don't we see this happening all the time? No, everyday experience and scientific evidence confirm our first premise. If something begins to exist, it must have a cause. But what about our second premise? Did the universe begin, or has it always existed? Atheists have typically said that the universe has been here forever. The universe is just there, and that's all. First, let's consider the second law of thermodynamics. It tells us the universe is slowly running out of usable energy, and that's the point. If the universe had been here forever, it would have run out of usable energy by now. The second law points us to a universe that has a definite beginning. This is further confirmed by a series of remarkable scientific discoveries. In 1915, Albert Einstein presented his general theory of relativity. This allowed us, for the first time, to talk meaningfully about the past history of the universe. Next, Alexander Friedman and George Lemaitre, each working with Einstein's equations, 
predicted that the universe is expanding. Then in 1929, Edwin Hubble measured the red shift in light from distant galaxies. This empirical evidence confirmed not only that the universe is expanding, but that it sprang into being from a single point in the finite past. It was a monumental discovery, almost beyond comprehension. However, not everyone is fond of a finite universe, so it wasn't long before alternative models popped into existence. But one by one, these models failed to stand the test of time. More recently, three leading cosmologists, Arvind Bord, Alan Guth and Alexander Vilenkin, prove that any universe which has on average been expanding throughout its history cannot be eternal in the past, but must have an absolute beginning. This even applies to the multiverse, if there is such a thing. This means that scientists can no longer hide behind a past eternal universe. There is no escape. They have to face the problem of a cosmic beginning. Any adequate model must have a beginning, just like the standard model. It's quite plausible then that both premises of the argument are true. This means that the conclusion is also true. The universe has a cause. And since the universe can't cause itself, its cause must be beyond the space-time universe. It must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, uncaused and unimaginably powerful. Much like God. The cosmological argument shows that, in fact, it is quite reasonable to believe that God does exist. Isn't that great? I just love it. I've seen that video a lot, and I think we've played it here probably two or three times uh, in the last five, five years or so, but um, I would definitely recommend using it as a resource. It's a great, great link to have. It's actually in the message notes on the web version. So if you want to look at it again, you can totally go there and just click on the link and do that. That's wonderful. But now we know, so it's quite reasonable to believe. So these are the foundation. Like I said, we can get challenged on all sorts of things, and questions can throw us off. And it's important to go back to what do we know for sure because it lays a foundation, right? So it doesn't feel like you're spinning and falling. So you start by, by what are you standing on? I'm standing on, is, so is my faith rational? Yeah, absolutely it is. I, it is totally reasonable to believe in God. And from there, I know we have to demonstrate then uh, which God do we believe in, right? How do we know ours is the right God? And I think that goes to my second point, and that is right here. And that's why I say these two are the most foundational for me. And there's lots of other truths. There's lots of other truth, objective truth, that we can find in Scripture. And the Bible itself is a testimony. But these are the two main ones I use. Uh, the next one is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because if he lived and died and was resurrected, then he proves that our God is the one who did the rest of it. It validates everything else. And that's what we're actually told even in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 14. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. The life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, right? That fact being true is incredibly important. And we're going to touch a little bit more on that uh, next week. But um, I want to close by giving us some, we're going to sing a, a song together, but I want to close by giving us some questions to look at. But I want you to ponder on this before we go into, the, into those questions. If it is true that God exists, and if Jesus did live and die and was resurrected, 
That means everything else in his word is true. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For what reason? So that whoever believes in him can have eternal life and not perish. If he is who he says he is, that means that today, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter your history, doesn't, none of those things matter. God loves you just the way you are. Doesn't mean he wants to leave you in the state you're in, but he loves you just the way you are and he beckons you into a relationship. And so today I, I wanna pray for you, but I want you to think about um, these questions even just now, practical questions. You'll see these come up throughout the year. But as you consider the things that we talked about today, what did you learn about God? If the things that you learned were true, what does this mean for you in your life? Lord, help us see the truth of who you are. Help us learn to walk in the way in the truth, in the life that you've provided. And the last question I, I would ask is, who can you share this with this week? I'm not talking about unbelievers. We need to start with believers, start with family and friends, but share what God, share what he is doing in your life. We've got to get used to sharing with people what God is doing in our lives, that he becomes our main source of life. Let's worship together.